Welcome to Exploring Art Podcast, a Florida International University student podcast for the creative curious. I'm your host, Megan Piatanza, and I'm very pleased to have Amelia Moreno with me here. Welcome to the Exploring Art Podcast. First, let's talk about our case study because we're going to be relating our case study to chapter three of Puzzles About Art and our case study talks about Schiller's play, Jongfrau von Orleans, and how Joan of Arc is portrayed as dying on the battlefield rather than at the stake. It's a historical inaccuracy that's followed in Verdi's early opera, Giovanna Arco. Do these historical inaccuracies, them not depicting Joan of Arc's story correctly, in your view, does it lessen the value of the works of art in which these inaccurate portrayals occur? If they disturb you, in what way do they disturb you? So what we're going to be talking about is basically whether or not the value of this play and this opera, the artistic value that they hold, is it taken away by the fact that they aren't historically accurate? So to do that, we're gonna look at Joan of Arc's story first, give an introduction, and then we'll go into what, how we take value from art and what necessarily that value is. So Emilio, take it away with uh, Joan of Arc's story. All right. Joan of Arc was a peasant girl living in medieval France, and she believed that God had chosen her to lead France to victory in its long-running war with England. With no military training, Joan convinced the embattled crown of Prince Charles of Valois to allow her to lead a French army to the besieged city of Orleans, where it achieved a momentous victory over the English and their French allies, the Burgundians. After seeing the prince crowned King Charles VII, Joan was captured by Anglo-Burgundian forces, tried for witchcraft and heresy, and burned at the stake in 1431 at the age of 19. By that time, she was officially canonized in 1920, the maid of Orleans, and she had long been considered one of history's greatest saints and an enduring symbol of French unity and nationalism. After that, I'm pretty curious, you know, what could have led her to being burned at the stake? I know that you're familiar with the story, but for people who aren't familiar with this story. That's probably what you're wondering after that. So after such a miraculous victory, Joan's reputation spread far and wide among French forces. She and her followers escorted Charles across enemy territory to Reims, taking towns that resisted by force and enabling his coronation as King Charles. In July 1429, Joan argued that the French should press their advantage with an attempt to retake Paris, but Charles wavered. Even as his favorite at court, Georges de la Tremoille, warned him that Joan was becoming too powerful. The Anglo-Burgundians were able to fortify their positions in Paris and turned back an attack led by Joan in September. In the spring of 1430, the king ordered Joan to confront a Burgundian assault on Campagne. In her effort to defend the town and its inhabitants, she was thrown from her horse and was left outside the town's gates as they closed. The Burgundians took her captive and brought her amid much fanfare to the the castle of Bouvray. 
occupied by the English commander at Rouen. Joan of Arc uh, was burned at the stake and in this trial, she was captured by the English and um, in the trial that they held for her, she was ordered to answer some 70 charges uh, that she was pressed with, including witchcraft, heresy, and dressing like a man. The Anglo-Burgundians were aiming to get rid of the young leader, as well as discredit Charles, who owed his coronation to her. In attempting to distance himself from an accused heretic and witch, the French king made no attempt to negotiate Joan's release. In May 1431, after a year in captivity under threat of death, Joan relented and signed a confession, denying that she had ever received divine guidance. Several days later, however, she defied orders by again donning men's clothes and authorities pronounced her a death sentence. On the morning of May 30th, 1431, at the age of 19, Joan was taken to the old marketplace of Rowan and burned at the stake. Back to our case study, how can we dissect and understand how the historical inaccuracy of the play and the opera impact the meaning and interpretation of them? Like, um, I think to do that, we'll look at puzzles about art. So author of the book, Puzzles About Art, uh, Pabst Batten questions the process we go through to give art meaning. Should we value art because we learn from it and use it to enhance our understanding of some aspects of the world in which we live? If art does have value for cognition, what sorts of things can be learned from it? So I kind of want to talk about this with you and maybe we can discuss more about the value art has. Like, is there an example of a piece of, like maybe a piece of music or something you've seen or you've heard or a piece of art that, you felt like you gained something from? Um, gained something from? I feel like all art really gives you something just because of the way, you know, it may illustrate a certain image or try to convey a certain message. But I think the case with this being a play that kind of changes history is that it messes with people that wouldn't otherwise know this story's, you know, perception of these events. And it happens a lot, uh, especially you could see it in like Shakespeare's plays, like Macbeth and stuff. A lot of the times playwrights take the story of a historical event and they pretty much add and embellish onto it into a way that can, you know, turn it into an, uh, a sort of dramatized, you know, form of entertainment. Yeah, I, I think going down the entertainment route, something like a play or an opera, it's more so an experience. I think that, you know, going down and seeing a play or listening to an opera, it's, it's an entire experience that you're getting. You're not necessarily learning a moral lesson from it, but what you gain apart from just being entertained is like you gain sort of a life experience from it. And I think that when it comes to a, a play, a playwright embellishing a story, it does hold that entertainment value. And the cognitive value that Batten kind of talks about, I think 
in terms of cognition, you know, what value for cognition can be learned from something um, that is historically accurate? What, what do we kind of gain from that? Um, and, you know, what are, I'd rather talk about, you know, what is value um, for cognition? Like what, what Batten is talking about when he says, you know, if art does have value for cognition, what sorts of things can be learned from it? What do you think he means by cognition, like genuinely? I think cognition, especially in art, is just really what you interpret or basically what you get from the art, I guess, the message that an individual interprets he's from the art. He's not talking about knowledge. Is he, He's not talking about like the value for knowledge. You know, you do you know what I'm saying? Like gaining a piece of knowledge, like you know Joan of Arc's story, right? You saw the play and now you think you know Joan of Arc's story, but you actually don't. Yeah, it's more of like you're uh, getting a certain message maybe rather than, you know, historical knowledge, you're kind of gaining an understanding of, you know, maybe a certain message, especially with the case of Joan of Arc, it's a thing about, you know, gender and equality. And at the time it was, you know, a big religious battle, power, a battle for power in Europe. Sorry. I think that Batten further goes on to say something that really resonates with our, our entire case. He says, some people think of art as an effective vehicle for moral education. Others think that art teaches us how to recognize and deal with emotional states. But those who hold such views should be prepared to explain how words or pictures or sounds when organized into poems or paintings or music acquire a special capacity to teach morality. Give me a second. But those who hold such views should be prepared to explain how words or pictures or sounds, when organized into poems or paintings or music, acquire a special capacity to teach morality or to give us insight into the nature of our emotions. Moreover, anyone who thinks that art objects are capable of teaching should also offer criteria for determining whether what an artwork appears to teach is true. Well, I think that art can definitely be used to teach messages or ideas. But besides that, it wouldn't, at least in this case, be necessarily something of like empirical historical fact. It's more of a moral lesson, I suppose, since the story of Joan of Arc is like a story of, of like a rise to power and like resilience in the face of adversity, you know, the French fighting the English in this war. After so, like my research, I definitely agree with you that Joan of Arc's story does have like moral value. And I think that maybe changing the ending could alter the value, but I, I think that value still holds true and it's definitely still there. 
I think it doesn't change the value, but I think rather it would change the the message because it's different ways of delivering, you know, this idea of mm -hmm. female empowerment. You know, on one hand, we see like in the historically accurate version of Joan of Arc, we see that, you know, even after conquering, you know, a big part of uh, France back for King Charles VII, Joan was still abandoned by him because of what her, what she in the eyes of the English would have done to the reputation of Charles VII of France. So she, at the end of the day, she was abandoned and let like be executed by the English, even though she had a big role in Charles VII's campaign. And other, uh, changing that in the play to her dying in battle changes it and kind of ignores the fact that her death, even though like it still has her dying as a martyr, it has her dying for pretty much a different cause, which totally changes you know, the lesson at the end. Mm -hmm. Instead of dying in glory, it's more like she died because of the cowardice of you know those people that she helped yeah it kind of leads me to this discussion that I was just about to bring up is in my opinion to consider like this this encourages us in my opinion to consider what can be learned from depicting the history of Joan of Arc inaccurately what value does it hold to you know change that story and give people, you know, a different ending. Maybe it would encourage them to see the story differently or they would learn a newer, maybe more valuable, less valuable lesson depending on who the person is. Yeah, it would definitely be a different message. I mean, Joan of Arc is a, a hero in both versions of the story, but it definitely changes, point. you know, yeah, it changes the gravity of, you know, the way those events ended. Where, I mean, in both mediums, she dies as a martyr, but in one, you know, she dies as like a, a martyr for, you know, not really a good reason, more like abandonment from the people she had helped. And I think it's good to at least have this story adapted into the form of a play because entertainment is the best way to inform people since that's, that's the most point. easy medium to con uh, to uh, consume. So even if you know, you're misconstruing historical facts, you can still educate people through this medium. And I mean, there's all kinds of elements of art that make it easier to educate people. I mean, you look at color theory, like representing emotion and then all that goes into theater production and that could obviously, you know, really effectively educate people about historical events. Batten, the author of Puzzles About Art, I think he, he takes this train of thought and he explains it um, by mentioning this, a story of John Hartfield. So one of John Hartfield's photo montages shows Hitler giving the Nazi salute and receiving in his raised hand some money from a German capitalist. Hartfield obviously tampered with the actual photographic image, but it often is said that by doing so, he created a truthful statement about a source of Hitler's power. Edward 
Um, Mudei was not present when the Emperor Maximilian was executed in Mexico in 1867, when they based his historical painting execution um, on eyewitness reports printed in European newspapers and portrait photographs of him and his generals. Um, that's, a... that's a good point that I guess tweaking, you know, little details like that can, you know, I think it's really just enhance... to emphasize a different part of the story. I think that it's not reaching a completely different ending but it's more so emphasizing a part of the story that um, Schiller wanted to emphasize by changing. Like he purposely, he consciously made that choice to depict it inaccurately. And I think that by doing that, he is trying to reveal some sort of hidden truth or like something that he believes to be something that needs more attention in Joan's story. I, th I think a hidden truth would be a good point, but as uh, it could also be, you know, these people were definitely involved in this historical event and uh, having recognizable figures like that would really maybe make it more easy to understand to people who don't know about it or it gives you a broader picture with, you know, you can't capture every detail of, you know, a series of historical events with, you know, just one part of it. And I guess now that I look at at the play this way of Joan of Arc, it makes sense that they would tweak it in maybe a more audience friendly manner that she dies in battle. Right. Because you could say that she still died with honor when she was executed as, you know, until she was burned to death at the stake, she was still, uh, she was still firm in her beliefs that she had uh, received divine guidance from God you know, in a mission against the yeah. English. Real quick, I wanted to summarize um, the Maid of Orleans because I don't think we really got a chance to do that. But for um, listeners who are more unfamiliar with um, the Maid of Orleans, the play that we've been talking about, it loosely follows the life of Joan of Arc. So it contains a prologue introducing the important characters followed by five acts, each of which dramatize a significant event in Joan's life. So up to act four, the play departs from history in only secondary details. So it also shifts the reconciliation between the, I'm not familiar with these words, but Armagnacs and the Burgundians from 1435 to 1430. Um, thereafter, um, the plot is free. Joan's about to kill an English knight when on removing his helmet, she at once falls in love with him and spares him, blaming herself for what she regards as a betrayal of her mission. Then when at Reims, she's publicly accused of sorcery. She refuses to defend herself is assumed to be guilty and dismissed from the French court and army. Captured by the English, she witnesses from her prison cell a battle in which the French are being decisively defeated, breaks her bonds, and dashes out to save the day. She dies as victory is won, and her honor and her reputation are both restored. So as someone who is more familiar with the story of Joan of Arc, what do you think after hearing how that play ends and um, you know the differences that Schiller made because I I myself am slightly unfamiliar 
prior to my research on Joan of Arc's story. So as someone who has, you know, learned about Joan of Arc in school and heard her story countless times, um, what, what do you think, um, how much historical knowledge do you think would be needed to understand this play? Let's start there. Do you think that someone would need to know Joan of Arc's story to understand Schiller's version? Do you know you're muted? The historically accurate version is a pretty straightforward story that um, it's basically just Joan as a child received divine guidance from God and took that as her mission to work with English and lead Charles VII, his reign to victory against the English. And I don't think that's necessary because if the play, you know, goes over the major details of Joan's life, then would basically capture the essence. And I think this, you know, different iteration of the ending can effectively capture, you know, the essence of, you know, the way the events of Jones of Arc's life concluded. <clears throat> Cause uh, it still has to do, you know, with in a way being captured by the English like mentally and then overcoming that and, you know, ending up victorious in a way similar to how she was, you know, executed, still maintaining her honor, even after she had uh, denounced her claims that she received divine guidance, you know, and continued to preach that she was like a, a messenger of God on earth. And, you know, in the true story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I can hear your blinking. Back to our case study and our final opinions on Joan of Arc. Um, do these historical inaccuracies that we just discussed, in your view, do they lessen the value of the works of art in which these inaccurate portrayals occur? Do you think that that play by Schiller and Giovanni, um, Giovanna Diarcos, um, opera, do you think that their value is lessened by not being historically accurate? What are your, what, what are your opinions? I think that as a, you know, historically informative piece of art, it does detract from it because it's taken away from, yeah, but in terms of art, I really believe that it pretty much does its job in, you know, creating something that the audience can you be know entertained from yeah, i be, mean be something we from, didn't necessarily discuss is if i went to go see this play you know not be prior to my research on joan of arc i would walk away thinking wow what a good play but emilio who learned about joan of arc you know from an early time in his life would walk away from schiller's play thinking that wasn't right so yeah and no, yeah, we see that a lot. No, we see that a lot just like in movies now and for a long time. 
you know, some of my favorite movies are based on books and they're nothing like the books. That's it's basically, point. it's basically, and especially with something like plays, you're taking a basic source material, you know, a jumping off point and you're using that. I don't think all playwrights intentions are to, you know, teach history in a completely 100% accurate way right. to educate the people. But it's more of like, say, Macbeth or King Lear. You're taking a source material from history and you're basically embellishing it to create like a, a more fantastical version. And you can still have, you know, these uh, fables, like these morals at the end, teach like good life lessons and, you know, tell these like great stories. But it won't be historically accurate, but it'll be, I think, a really informative and like engrossing piece of art. Yeah, so the, the next question is, does it disturb you, you know, that that knowing that it's not true? And I think that from what you just said, it doesn't really, I wouldn't say disturb you. I think you're aware of, you know, what the inaccuracy means, but it, well, it doesn't necessarily disturb us because we can recognize that it's a piece of art that, you know, the playwright Schiller, he wanted to portray it differently, so he did. Yeah, I can understand that, you know, stories can be changed for a certain purpose, but I guess there's something in a way disturbing about changing the story of Joan of Arc since the end of her life is such a significant part of her story that changing that really, you know, kind of changes like the whole narrative. You can still tell a story about, you know, this is this is this hero, but it really changes. Like at the end of the day, you look at like the social, just the social kind of, how would you say like the social like interactions of back then or what, you know, what was accepted and like the way people acted, the way different kinds and classes of people were treated. Right. Well, I want to thank you, um, Emilio, for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. So this concludes Exploring Art Podcast. Thank you for listening. Please join us soon and remember to stay curious.